0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 8920521 Today's message is entitled Divine Alignment. And yesterday I had the privilege of visiting two precious saints from this congregation, Gail and Arlene. And when I went to these sisters who lived next to each other, I noticed something very pertinent to my message. First of all, in Gail's dining room is a mirror. And at the bottom of the mirror it says Romans 8:28. It has the verse spelled out, and we know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I looked at that mirror, and it was a curiosity. I said to myself, how interesting that you look in a mirror with that verse on it. Because if you looked at your life in a mirror, that verse would be written all over your life, Christian. Because God's been with you all the way. He's been working all things out for good all the time on your behalf. Surely goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. And then it gets better. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't God good? Isn't God faithful? So then I went over to Arlene's house, which is right next to Gail's house. And Arlene is a master puzzle maker. She's got puzzles with 300 pieces, 500 pieces, 1,000 pieces. She says, now here's what we do as master puzzle makers. We start to lay it out, but if it gets too hard, we take this cardboard and we lay it over it and start another one then we come back and when we come back later we we tend to have new eyes to see something that we missed before and then we're able to finish it and on her walls of her home are beautiful puzzles that she's put together and i thought oh lord you knew exactly what i was going to be preaching on sunday and these two illustrations by two sisters perfectly illustrate what we're talking about. That God takes the disparate pieces of our lives, the puzzled pieces of our lives, and he knows what he's about as he puts these puzzle pieces together. You think, there's no way that this odd-shaped, deformed puzzle piece that looks like a reject from the puzzle factory is ever gonna fit into this puzzle. But eventually, when you have most of the puzzle put together, it's the one piece that fits perfectly in place. God knows what he's about. He knows what he's doing in your life. He's working all things for good, for you. And so, in this section of Scripture, we're seeing three questions. Can I endure? When I'm in a very difficult situation, when I'm going through the rough things of life, we ask these questions. Can I endure? Is God really in control? Does He really love me? Romans 8, 27, can I endure? We looked last week that the Holy Spirit supernaturally supports us, and he prays in us and through us the requests we can't even articulate. And the Lord gets us through. Can I endure? Yes, we can, by the spiritual support of the Holy Spirit of God. The question today is, is God really in control? And there's one word I want you to be thinking about, one word I want you to be thinking about, and that word is purpose. God is Purposeful, full of purpose. Does life have meaning? Is existence having any significance? Are we headed anywhere? Is there a plan? The answer is yes, there is. There is a teleos, the Greek word for there is an end to this. There's a climax to history that we're heading towards, and God's working all things for good towards that climax. He is the one who's in control. He's large enough to sit on the throne of the universe, but he's personal enough to sit on the throne of your heart. He's transcendent, above and beyond, and separate from creation, but he's eminent. He is close and personal. He's involved with the intricate details of your life. Isn't God great? We praise him because he is in control. So we can see that the question, can I endure, is God really in control, and does he really love me, is answered in this last section of Romans. Regarding strength, the Lord understands me and helps me pray in and by the Spirit. With confidence, the Lord works out everything for my good because he is in control. And love, the the Lord assures me nothing can separate me from his love in Christ. Now today's message, I told you the word is purposeful. And there's three parts to this message set of verses, Romans 8, 28 to 30. Number one, God works for my good. Number two, God shapes me like Christ. And number three, God assures me of glory. Now, just sit and let this soak into your soul. Look at each of these statements. And let's just say these out loud. And if you really believe it, say it confidently, say it with conviction, say it boldly, claim it. Just say right now, God works for my good. God shapes me like Christ. God assures me of glory. Do you believe it? Praise God. This is the word of God This is true. First of all, God works for my good. Romans 8, 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, here's something interesting. Just a few verses earlier, Paul said, We do not know how to pray. But now he's saying, And we know that God works all things together for good. Isn't that interesting? Because there's sticky wickets, and there are conundrums, and there are problems that are so difficult, we don't know how to pray. We don't know up from down. We don't know whether to spit or whistle. All right? That's how serious the problem is. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to articulate. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. We don't know the answer. But we know he who does know the answer. And what do we know about him? We know he'll work all things together for good. Right? So when you can't trace his hand, what God is doing, When you can't trace his hand, what God is doing, trust his heart. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. God's in control, and he knows what he's doing. Now, let's take Joseph, for example. Joseph had a lot of bad things happen to him. He tells his brothers and his parents, I had a dream, and everybody bowed down to me, and and pretty much I was in charge. I was number one. I was the ruler. And from that point on, his brothers were jealous of him and uh, had it out for him. They threw him in a pit. Then they sold him to some traders who took him off to Egypt. Then he uh, got in at Potiphar's um, household and he was able to uh, rise up and do some good stuff. Then he got accused falsely of rape, and got thrown into the prison. Then he interpreted the dream, and he said, remember me when you get out? And the high official forgot him as soon as he got out. He had one bad break after another, but the Lord's hand of favor was on him. May I say something of encouragement to you, child of God? The Lord's hand of favor is on you. You may be knocked down, but you'll bounce up. The righteous may fall seven times, but they'll keep on getting up because the Lord's hand of favor is on you. And so even though you get the short end of the stick, even though you get the shaft, the point is God is still working all things for good. And eventually... Joseph becomes the prime minister. I mean, he's the second in command to Pharaoh, and he's organizing a food storage program, preparing for a famine. So instead of thousands of people starving to death, they are provided food. And his family has to come to Egypt to beg for food. Well, this would be his perfect opportunity to get revenge on his brothers who betrayed him and threw him in the pit and sold him to the traitors and so forth. But you know what? He had forgiven them in his heart because he had experienced the grace of God and he was able to share that grace. And when he spoke to the brothers after their dad died, the brothers said, hey, by the way, dad said, don't take revenge on us. I don't think Dad even knew this story, but here's what Joseph said to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And the Hebrew word here about you wove evil. That's the word. It's to weave or to plate. P L A I T. You, he's talk, ta- talking to his brothers, wove evil. But God rewove it together for good. Max Lucado writes God, the master weaver, stretches the yarn and intertwines the colors, the ragged twine with the velvet strings, the pains with the pleasures, nothing escapes his reach. Every king, despot, despot, weather pattern and molecule are at his command. He passes the shuttle back and forth across the generations and as he does, a design emerges Satan weaves, God reweaves. Praise the Lord that God is working for good. Now let's try to put this together for you. Do you know God's heart? Do you know that God is for you? And if He's for you, no one can be against you, nothing can be against you. Do you know? that God's on the throne and that He's in control? Do you know that God is at work? God is at work using the bad things in your life to shape your character and to conform you to the image of His Son. God is chiseling off that that doesn't look like Jesus in your life. God is at work and He's redeeming Even the hurtful things, the painful things, the hard things that you have gone through. Again, Max Lucato says this, and I thought it's a great way to summarize it. In God's hands, intended evil becomes eventual good. Let me read that again. In God's hands, intended evil becomes eventual good. Many times we go through suffering and pain and heartache and hard times, and we say, God, deliver me, rescue me, take this away from me. Instead, we should be praying, God, put it to work. Work it, God. Make it happen for my good and for your glory. And here's the beautiful thing. God is about glorifying himself and working on your behalf for your good. It's a win-win situation. God's glory and your good. God is working on purpose. He's working intentionally to carry out his good plans for you. He has a future for you, a future for good and a hope, and not for evil. Secondly, God shapes me like Christ. In Romans 8, 26b to 27, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. When I received Christ at age 14 at Word of Life Camp in Schoon Lake, New York. It was like I was the tin man. I would hit my chest and it would be hollow. And I had prayed to God, if you exist, teach me how to love. And when I received Christ at age 14, God poured his love into my heart by the Holy Spirit. I had a heart. I have a heart, a heart of love, because God first loved me. Because He first loved me with His unconditional, agape love, I now know something about what love is, and I can share that love with others. Well, my parents stopped going to church. I'm in junior high, and uh, or maybe a freshman at 14, I'm not sure, the point is that I Didn't have anyone to disciple me, and I had to read the Bible on my own. I had a living Bible back then, a paraphrase of the Bible written by uh, Taylor. And uh, as I read it, and I came to Romans eight, I read that promise, Romans eight twenty nine. But when I read verse twenty nine, I read verse twenty eight, the promise. When I read verse twenty nine, the I saw something I never saw before. In engineering, there is a phrase called the organizing principle. The organizing principle means it is the main and the plain thing. The main and the plain thing will always be the main and the plain thing. And so the main and the plain thing is this. that My job description as a Christian is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and becoming more and more like Jesus. That's it! That's the whole purpose of the Christian life. I get it now. That's the organizing principle of the Christian life. To cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to become more and more like Jesus in my character and in my conduct. I still have my unique personality, and I'm certainly not going to look like him in stature. It was really funny. Because when I received Christ at Word of Life camp, the next day I saw Jack Wurtzen, who had preached, who founded Word of Life, and I said, "Uh, Mr. Wurtzen, remember I'm 14 years old, Mr. Wurtzen, if we're supposed to be like Jesus, uh, are we supposed to dress like him? And he, he, he was very gracious in answering me, but I was just... You know, totally whipped behind the ears spiritually, and he was patient. No, we're going to be like him in character and in conduct. In sewing, there's this concept that if you pull the main thread, which we'll call it the golden thread, then the whole design comes together. You pull that one thread and everything you've been working on comes together. Now there's a silver thread, you pull that and only part of the design comes together. But you pull the golden thread and the whole thing comes together. This is the golden thread of the Christian life. We're to become like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is shaping us. Everything in our lives that happens knocks off everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Michelangelo was asked, how did you carve... This beautiful sculpture of David. He said, I had a piece of marble and I chiseled off anything that didn't look like David. And that's what God's doing. He's chiseling off anything in our lives that doesn't look like Jesus. But also notice something else in purpose. Not only does God want us to be conformed to the image of Christ as his purpose, but he wants jesus christ his son to be preeminent the first of brothers and sisters in christ who are redeemed who are holy who are resurrected who will be like jesus jesus is number 1 every knee shall bow and every tongue con- every knee shall every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of father, to the glory of god the father finally god assures me of glory verse 30 and those he predestined he also called those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified now this is very important your eternity your salvation is from eternity past to eternity present God had you on his heart and in his mind way before he made you. And he chose, he decided you would be his before you even came to be. Before you even a twinkle or a gleam in your parents' eyes, God already knew you and said, I want you to be mine. That is how he predestined you. And he foreknew you. Uh, so he, he knew you in advance. He chose you in advance. They call this the five links of salvation or the golden chain of salvation. There are five links in the golden chain of salvation. God foreknew, God predestined, God called, God justified, God glorified. God did all the work. He even gave you the faith to believe. Who gets all the glory? God does. Because he knew you in advance. He chose you in advance. He called you. And then he set you right before his sight by by forgiving you and giving you the righteousness of his own son, Jesus. And, interestingly enough, in this text, Romans 8.30, glorified is in the past tense. In other words, he's already glorified you. You're already at the right seat of God the Father in Christ. You're already glorified. So we live in between the not yet and, uh, and the now. The now and the not yet. And so we're, we've been justified, we will be glorified, and right now we're being sanctified. All these big technical words Let me put it down into the cookies on the lowest shelf. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. You are being saved from the power of sin. You will be saved altogether from the presence of sin. So that's the process. We're already victors. We're already glorified. It just hasn't happened yet fully. And so, praise God that when he does something, he does it right. When he does something, he does it thoroughly. That he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And he assures you of glory. How does he assure you of glory? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, he's given us his Holy Spirit as a down payment of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the foretaste of glory divine. You have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the engagement ring that the wedding, marriage feast of the Lamb, is going to happen. It's a guaranteed thing. There's a guy who was selling suits, and he would always say, I guarantee it. And God says, your salvation? I guarantee it. And his word is trustworthy. He is faithful to sanctify you through and through, body, soul, and spirit. Because of this, we have the hope of glory. No matter what suffering we go through in this lifetime, it's nothing to be compared to the glory that we will have in the future. There was a woman in my first church when I was but 19 years of age, named Anna Havey. And she said, Pastor, pastor, we need to let the whole community know about this church. I'm going to pay for us to put ads in the newspaper. And you come to my house and let's talk about that. And I said, Thank you, Anna. She was such an encourager to me. And I went to her house and her daughter answered at the door. She said, Anna, went home to be with Jesus last night. And I was just in shock. And the daughter said, hold on one second. And she went into the house and came back. She said, but Anna wanted you to have this. And she handed me two sheet musics of a song called Because He Lives. Her name was written on there, Anna Havey. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. God assures us of glory. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more my peers and friends are are going home to glory, and I need this comfort. And when I was talking to Doc Ritter this week, who's hanging in there so far, I said, Doc, when you get to heaven, there's going to be great reward. And there's going to be a great reunion. And you'll be revitalized with energy like you have never had before. And you'll be rejuvenated to your youth. Heaven's a wonderful and real place. And praise the Lord, we're going there. We've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Praise God for that assurance of glory. We can withstand the pain, the suffering, the struggles of this earth because our God is an awesome God. And He's working all things for good. He's weaving everything together for His glory and for our good. And we trust Him. We love Him. We worship Him. God works for my good. God shapes me like Christ. God assures me of glory. Now perhaps you're sitting here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. Maybe you are what I just heard a testimony of a new member say, I was a thought soul Christian. I thought I was a Christian, but I'd never really received Christ seriously the first time. Maybe you need to trust in Jesus, because if you do, you're acknowledging what God's been working in your heart, that He knew of you and He chose you, and now He's calling you to trust in Him. Will you believe in Jesus? Will you receive Him as your Savior and Lord? Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.